your aggressive feelings, boy. Let the flow through you. It's the Review a New Podcast. I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And this is the podcast where we typically look back at our favorite filmmakers and uh, talk about their movies through a modern lens. And uh, today we have, well, this is actually way more recent because Django was 2012. This one was 2015. Yeah, so yeah. like Netflix is definitely a thing by now, right? Uh, all of all of these streaming services, right? Mm-hmm. So um, t- today we're going to be looking at uh, Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, a movie that I didn't realize there were two versions of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I-, I had watched the original version before, and uh, you know places where I typically get it, and then I happened to see like on Netflix it was in like four parts. Uh, BT Dubs, uh, not supporting Netflix. I, I get it for free ninety nine from a relative. <laughs> just, just letting you know about that. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, so there was like a they had it divided up into four parts. Have, have, have you, have you I, heard about this? I, so I saw the version that I just watched had four chapters. I also saw the original. Uh, my wife and I actually went and saw when it was in theaters when I was doing the touring road show and it was like the big thing and there was oh. an overture and there was an intermission mm. and we got like a glossy. This uh, does really feel like a movie for that. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, because it's such I, a, like you're in this space with people with big puffy coats and shit. <laughs> like, yeah, so like we went and saw it in a movie theater, like a and, and they had like I remember there being curtains, like theater curtains That's that got pretty cool. drawn apart across the screen, and we had like a big glossy program. That's like, pretty cool. Uh, I don't like think it's nineteen oh two up in yeah. this bitch. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I still have that program. I need to go see if I have that program. Uh, I don't want to like. I don't <laughs> you wanna, you I want to check, but we, you don't want to. Yeah, keep keep riffing. Keep okay, riffing. okay. Be right back. So uh, yeah. Um, uh, Hey, uh, if you want to support the show, uh, that's Kofi.com slash Rap Critic. You can request either a movie, a um, album review. Uh, well, that's for the going off uh, uh, Kofi, but you, uh, for the specifically for the strictly Rap Critic Kofi, you can request a movie, song, or uh, album stream request or, or music stream request. I, I be doing those on Twitch these days, so you know. And, and the list for that is like the shortest one. So uh, get with it, act like you want it. Uh, that's Kofi.com slash Rap Critic. Uh, get in there and get in your request today, including, uh, also, I gotta say, uh, patreon.com slash rap critic. If you wanna do ongoing support, uh, Kofi's the one time where you can get your request in for one time or donate how much you want. And, uh, Patreon is the one where you can do the ongoing support where you get to see, uh, episodes early, you get to see exclusive episodes, plus join the rap critic discord and all that fun, sexy stuff. And I am looking over at this, uh, picture book that he showed me and you are like showing it and I'm having this moment where I'm like, oh, look here, folks. I'm like, oh, right, this is an audio format. <laughs> but, this does look fucking incredible. I'm loving this as I'm looking at it. Oh my god, you got this from just going to the uh, premiere? Yeah, because it That's was. So it, cool. I can't remember what the theater was, but, but it was is this. He- Balding? Is that what he's supposed to look like? I thought he just had no hair. You see I, that? No, I think I think that's just like the way his hair is. I don't know. It's kind of hard. to I see. thought he just had I no. Th- hair. I thought he had didn't have hair like that, but it looks like it. No, I think I think that's just the the angle of the picture. Uh, yeah, We're talking yeah. about uh, Michael Madsen as Joe Gage. Yeah, yeah. He does indeed have hair in the movie. What a character! Yeah. Oh my god, we got mm, we got a, you got a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah, because. Uh, saying anything is going to give it away. It's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when we saw it, it was the big fancy like roadshow event. Because Tarantino, between this and Grindhouse, like Tarantino, very clearly. I mean, 
obviously anybody who knows the first thing, like what's the one thing everybody knows about Quentin Tarantino is he's a cinephile. He loves the mm. movies. He loves like the experience of going to the movies. And so, um, you know, he when Hateful Eight came out, he had this special road, sh- road show engagement presented this in so 70 cool millimeter. And yeah, like we got this. It literally, it's like a picture book. This big glossy brochure. You, you can got, hear the, the the fluttering of the page, so you know it's real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, god, Daisy Domer. I, I like. I was so like, like, how the hell do you say this woman's name? Or are they just so fucking it up? Like, it reminded me of what was that other movie uh, with the Coen Brothers? Where's the Mister Labeef? Or it's just like, is this they like people of the West? Y'all just don't know how to pronounce motherfuckers' name if it's like French or some shit. Because the whole movie, it just felt like they were going Domergu, Domergu, Domergu. Yeah. They, well, they pronounce it consistently as Domergu, and then at the end, um, they say uh, Domingue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, so I want like I want to read this. It's like, God damn it, you just sprung this on me. <laughs> yeah, so um I, you know what I thought was really interesting? So that's my experience of the movie is that I saw it as the special road show and then I saw uh the four chapter version. Now I don't remember there was a lot I remembered from seeing it, but there was a lot I didn't remember and I couldn't remember the ending clearly. So I heard there were different endings, but I don't remember if the roadshow one had a different ending or not. So apologies that I just don't remember that if mm. it was a different. I'm just reading these quotes and like just themes of the movie are just popping the fuck out at me right now as I'm just reading yeah. these goddamn so, quotes. So the titular hatefully, I've been wondering because I was thinking about it for most of the movie we're seeing nine people. And so I was like, well, which one's not part of the eight? And then, uh, and I, my guess had been the um, the driver, what's his name? Yeah. Is it OB? He, he is the guy that I OB. thought was uh, Anthony Goggins, but then, uh, Walton Goggins. I was like, oh, wait, no, no, no. That's, yeah. that's so, actually him, yeah. So the driver of the stagecoach, OB, is is in the the setting with most of the other characters for most of the movie, but he is not one of the Hateful Eight. He's just the driver. He's minding his own business for the most part. Yeah. Um, the titular Hateful Eight are Major Marquis Warren, played by Samuel L. Jackson, a.k.a. the Bounty Hunter. This is, uh, this is by the way, this is in this program that I got yeah. seven years ago. Oh, oh my, my God, yeah, because that was when my kid was a baby. Seven keeps on slipping. Yeah, so seven years ago... Uh, Major Marquis Warren, which I was like walking today and I was thinking Marquis Warren. And then I was like, that kind of like sounds almost a little bit like um, Marcus Wallace. But, mm-hmm. or wait, no, because it's not. Who are you thinking about? Mar- Marcel. Marcel Wallace. Marcellus Wallace? Marcellus. Oh my God. I couldn't remember. I was like, it's, oh, Mar- yeah. it's Marcy something. And it was like, that's not Samuel L. Jackson's character in Pulp Fiction, but it's a character in Pulp Oh, and I, was like, I wonder if that was like an intentional echo in some way that Marcus, like Marquis Warren and Marcellus Wallace, sound mm. kind of similar. I don't know. Anyway, so in the program, each there, one of there the, is a lot of things that I do feel like seem to ring from his earlier filmography. That yeah, I, that well, the red apple, about. red apple tobacco. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was also just gonna just comment on the fact that like, okay, the last movie that we we watched was Django Unchained about this like you know Negro bounty hunter. And then now this next movie is starting with a Negro body hunter, and I was like, wait, what? It, like my ears like had that immediate moment of like, didn't you just do this? What's happening? Well, you know, like, so interesting thing. I read this today that apparently this movie was originally going to feature Django. Oh wow! Because um, I was thinking, I was just like, oh, you're doing a western again? What's right. going on? Well, here, so here's the thing. So I read that 
Um, Tarantino originally was going to write this as a novel, which is weird. Um, uh, I, I it, it, it does make it, sense as a novel. I, 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 I can see that. I mean, we had such a bottle, but, uh, you know, there's bottle like, yeah. Place, yeah. So originally it was going to be a novel that was like a sequel to Django Unchained and it was going to be featuring Django, but then he was like, well, but this character doesn't really fit who Django is as a person. Yeah, and his wife, like, yeah, where did his wife go? Yeah. Right. So, and so what I thought was really interesting because I was watching this movie a second time and what it reminded me of more than anything else was an Agatha Christie play. Oh, um, and then there were none. Uh, okay, Which, yeah. If you know the original title. Like, oh my the Tarantino. God. The I saw it and I was like, what? Right. <laughs> and I was like, you've got to be And then me. the That's American great. version, they changed it to 10 Little Indians, which is so yes, racist. Uh, and then they called it and then there were none. But anyway, so it reminded me of that Agatha Christie play more than anything. And like Samuel L. Jackson's character really feels like her Hercule Poirot. And so this movie really as much as if not more than uh, uh, Knives Out reminded me of an Agatha Christie, like a cozy mm. mystery. Uh, yeah, yeah, because there's so, like, wait, who did that? Yeah, yeah, right. And so I was looking into it, especially the ending, which we'll get to. Spoilers will abound. Oh, yeah. Um, so I had been assuming that this was in some way like Agatha Christie inspired, but apparently what it was was Tarantino said, um, in an interview that. In all these old Western TV shows, he said, you know, there'd be one or two episodes a season where you'd have the good guys, the heroes would be held hostage by this group of bad guys and they'd be trapped in a bank or something. And he had this idea of, well, what if there were no good guys? What if it was just the bad guys all trapped <laughs> in a place together? And I thought that because, was... Because, as a, well, it's like, it's not even like good or bad. Because as I was thinking, as I was watching this movie, all it felt like was like, the shifting relationships between the characters. Right. Where you're like, oh, this guy has this power dynamic on him. Oh, but now there's this information, so he actually has this power dynamic on him. You know what I'm saying? Like, the shifting dynamics is fascinating. Yeah, their relationships are so interesting, and they do shift. Like, even, I think, um, so let's go through the characters Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got Samuel L. Jackson as Major Marcus Warren, the bounty hunter. Kurt Russell as John Ruth, the hangman. Jennifer Jason Lee as Daisy Domergu, the prisoner. Uh, I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, Demian Bashir as Bob, the Mexican. Michael Madsen as Joe Gage, the cow puncher. Walton Goggins as Chris Mannix, the sheriff. Tim Roth as Oswaldo Mowbray, the little man. (laughs) And uh, Bruce Dern as Confederate General Sandy Smithers, a.k.a. the Confederate. Mm -hmm. So those are our hateful eight. And then there's also... And there's a lot of hate. (laughs) hate. And then there's also Obi, the driver, who doesn't hate anybody except when they make him go out in a blizzard. Uh. Um, And so at the very beginning of the movie, the first... The first character that we see is Samuel L. Jackson, um, and he's there's uh, a blizzard coming up. His horse has just gone lame. Yeah. And, he, and also, I just like like there's this imagery that looks exactly like the Western Union thing, and I, and I just like don't want to skip over that because you see that so much of like stagecoach and like horses going through snow, and my brain so has that affiliated. Yeah. with is it Western Union? Or uh, it, I think it's Wachovia. Uh, no, no. Do you remember like uh, Wachovia back in the day? No, now? it's not Wachovia. It's it's the one. Uh, the one that's really corrupt, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, but, uh, it's a bank. But there's a name, uh, wasn't it? Like it was a double name, and then it became one name. Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Wachovia, and then Wachovia got eaten up by Wells Fargo. Right, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But anyway, yeah. yeah. So, um, so Samuel Jackson is he's out in the wilderness. Is he's got a big pile of dead bodies because he's a bounty hunter. And I just want to start with like just like a specifically because the the imagery that starts the movie is just like just cold like frozen you know very things. beautiful but stark landscape yeah. in and Montana and then just a big wooden like crucifix with oh, snow yeah, on it yeah. and it just like is on that for so long and I was just like. What's going on? Am I missing something? Well, and, and he does, and you know, Tarantino does this sort of very classic, classic cinema thing of having the very lengthy credits at the beginning, mm, yeah, uh, at the of the movie, yeah, that's so, true. And, and it's like, so it goes on like it's just like slowly revealing the cross, and it's just like there's nothing else that's being revealed. But then you just slightly move to the side, and then you see the stagecoach coming, yeah. like as it starts the movie. So I, I, it was like it was one of those like that minor uh, film language payoff of just like what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen. Oh, there's the story. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so uh, Marquis is a normal bounty hunter who finds a person who's got a, a you know price on their head, kills them, brings in their dead body yeah. for uh, for the reward. And, and I just wanted to just notice the idea of like, so Christoph Waltz is like, you know, the angel of evil in like uh, Inglorious Bastards and then becomes like the angel of using violence for good in uh, Django. And I think it's so fascinating to see, again, like just one of the parallels I noticed where it's just like Samuel L. Jackson in Django Unchained is a monster. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. like unredeemable. Unrede- this movie... He's not great, but he's he's justified. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson is probably the least horrible. Thing yeah, um, I'm looking at the cast. It's hard. Yeah, I would it's, say it's it's all about relativity. Yeah, honestly, I mean Joe, Joe Gage and Bob, arguably maybe John Ruth is like. So here's they, they're all pretty flawed people. It, it all depends on uh, how how much you think uh, you know banditos should be you know considered automatically bad depending right. on what their circumstances are. So, so Marquis is basically he's got a pile of dead bounties yeah. um, and and a horse that I can't remember if the horse is dead or just injured or what, but he's stuck out in the middle of nowhere in Montana. There's a blizzard coming and he runs into John Ruth, played by Kurt Russell, the hangman, who's another bounty hunter, but he's an unusual bounty hunter who is always determined to bring in his bounties alive so that they can face trial and be hanged. And that's why he's called the hangman. And one of the little catchphrases in the movie is when the hangman gets you, you hang. Mm. Uh, so, uh, Marquis and and John Ruth have met each other, and Marquis talks him into letting him onto the stagecoach where Ruth is handcuffed to Daisy Domergu, who is uh, wanted for murder. And Jennifer Jason Leigh just manages to make her so absolutely hateable just from the very beginning that even though you you're watching this woman getting punched yeah, in the face uh, repeatedly, yeah, it's, it's but, like oh my god. But she's so horrible. Like, she just starts screaming racist epithets at Samuel L. Jackson's character almost immediately. She's just absolutely awful. You know, I didn't really start hating her until halfway through the movie, I think. Oh, I think... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I think it was just... They were just so doing violence on her. I was just like, what in the hell? Yeah, I mean, I think... think From what I recall, and this is the second time I'd seen the movie, from what I recall, I just hated her instantly. And Mm. so it makes it much more powerful that we're seeing her, much more, not, uh, much more palatable Mm. that we're seeing her getting punched and elbowed in the face. It's like, well, she does Because she's she's so freaking awful. Um, And then uh, Walton Goggins' Chris Mannix 
shows up and makes Daisy look positively <laughs> likable by comparison. Is he even fucking worse? Okay, so just to get a bit of the backstory on this guy, like, wasn't he originally with a roving gang of uh, like right. bandits as well? Right. So we find out that he is. So he's claiming they're all heading towards Red Rock, towards yeah. the town of Red Rock. Town he, Red Rock. <laughs> he claims that he is the new sheriff of Red Rock. Uh, there, that's always being called into question whether he actually is or not. But he claims, in fact, like nobody believes anybody for the right. Most part, they all right? believe they're like, they're all lying about everything. But yeah. he claims he's the new sheriff of Red Rock. He's going there to be a sheriff. His horse went lame. He's out there walking in the snow, and he begs for a ride. And he was uh, a he's the son of a, a, a Confederate general and a member of the Mannix Marauders who basically the Civil War ended but this Confederate regiment just kept going around and being crazy and tearing shit up. And I think it's fascinating how it's like the movie that we just, like, movie before this it was two years before the war. And this is, like, two years after the war, right? Right, It's a fascinating yeah, so thing this, where he's, like, going on the bubble of these Right, this movie has taken place right after the Civil War ends. Um, Samuel L. Jackson was in the Union Army. Chris Mannix and the Confederate were obviously in the Confederate Army. Um it's not clear that anybody else directly fought. Uh, no, I think other John... than the Confederate, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. But uh, it is fascinating. Like as I was watching this movie, just having that moment of like, oh, he, like I'm, it had me thinking, like, wait, is this next movie going to be actually about the Civil War? Because it's like there's this weird thing where he's like on the bubble of it. Because it's like this movie, like it, it's not. I wouldn't even call it a western. It, it is more of a honestly, I'd say it's closer to a war movie because it's about war so it's, much. It's very <laughs> you much. Know? Well, it's about the it's about the aftermath of. War, yeah. Which, oddly enough, it, I kept thinking Agatha Christie because Agatha Christie, from what I recall, a lot of her stuff has the echoes of uh, of the war in it. Mm. Um, I, I think in her case, it was World War Two. Generally, that you have, mm. it might have been World War One. Now I'm not, I'm not an Agatha Christie mm. expert, but I would call. Oddly enough, for all the violence in this movie, I would call its genre a cozy mystery. Yeah, because yeah, like literally, because like, the whole time you're trying to be like, who the fuck is doing? Who's well, and, behind? Yeah, and yeah. Like this is gonna sound perverse, but I feel like for me at least, watching it, you get this very cozy feeling. Because I think it's because the scenery is so. You're set. In, you're in this like. You're in this like dark wood, fire mm-hmm. roaring cabin, snow surrounding everything, with a blizzard going outside, yeah. and everybody's drinking hot coffee. Like it feels very cozy. That is, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Um. So basically, you end up with these four people in the stagecoach. You've got the two bounty hunters, the prisoner who's handcuffed to one of the bounty hunters, and then the sheriff. And they arrive at Minnie's haberdashery, which is. I get it's sort of a general store slash in it's like it's like a truck stop it's like a 19th century yeah, truck stop yeah. and um because they realize they're not going to make it to Red Rock before the blizzard so they they're all going to hunker down at Minnie's until the blizzard blows over um and they get to oh my god and I just want to say like as they're driving there like so you know they're having the conversations with like Samuel Jackson and talking to uh you know Kurt Russell's character um and like they and by the way Kurt Russell he just so has a, that uh what's that way that what's his name talk John Wayne yeah that John, John Wayne yeah. I, mean, I lo- like I love his affectation I do not love John Wayne but I love him like the way he yeah. casually puts yeah. it on in there um 
But uh, what was I bringing up? Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, we need to mention the Lincoln letter, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, well, yeah, we can get to that in a second. Because I was just talking about, like, the sound effects and how, like, you know, when, when you're in the wagon, and first of all, just getting you used to the idea of, like, being in a closed, confined yeah. space, right? We're in this wagon, and all, and you're seeing it jump up and down as yeah, it's moving, yeah. like, really putting you in that place, right? And so as you're hearing that, you're hearing all the jumbling and commotion happening. And in the background, you're hearing the um, OB, the uh, dude, the like, the horses going, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on yeah, and yeah. it's so like giving you this idea of like you know violence against you know these horses that's happening right to get them to go and it's like you're just hearing the whipping hitting whipping yeah. hitting and, and then hearing the chains to I have never hated chain the sound of chains so much mm. than after he- watching this movie where it was like when I heard a chain again it would be like oh my god this yeah. noise yeah. like <laughs> but yeah getting to the so um they pick up Samuel Jackson. And he, they, they uh, had the discussion about the the letter that he got from Lincoln because, well, you know, I, I'm a protected man because look, I, you know, he look pulls at this out a, he pulls out a letter that he says he got from Abraham Lincoln that they were pen pals during the war, and um, and John Ruth is just, you know, very clearly touched by this letter. He's reading, he puts on his reading glasses, and he's reading it over and just like going to tears over it. And Daisy Domergue, who is clearly a Confederate sympathizer, spits on the letter. And Samuel L. Jackson punches her in the face, knocks her out of the stagecoach, which, of course, pulls John Ruth out. And so they all end up rolling around in the snow. Yeah, that, that was a funny moment. Just like it didn't happen so abruptly, where like she spits, and then you see like Samuel react like what? Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah, so visceral. Um, but yeah, so um, oh, we, so they uh, meet up with uh, Walter Goggins, Chris Mannix. Where they're trying to be like, you know, wait, who are you? Do you know this guy? What What do you guys just happen to be out yeah. here? It's like, nah, I don't know that guy. What are you talking and about? And they all know each other by they reputation. Each other. Yeah, it's fascinating. Because, like Chris Mannix and uh, and Marquis and Major Marquis have never met each other, but uh, Major Marquis uh, had a bounty from burning down a Confederate camp while he was a POW. Yeah, and so it's like one of those. Uh, it, like I like how it's not like a convenient thing. Where like I actually did know you here. I actually did know you here. It's just like they're all kind of famous yeah and it's like the one time where it is something where they're kind of like you know close to each other is uh uh, the confederate and the bounty hunter when like oh they were actually on a battlefield at one point Mm -hmm. you know so it's like that's the closest relationship you you kind of know of at first the ties between them all and among them all tend to be from the war yeah 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 um and so uh it's fascinating so walton goggins he's like you know, uh, you gentlemen, you know, need to let me in. It's like, wait, where are y'all headed to? Like, oh, we're headed to Red Rock. Well, I'm headed to be the sheriff of Red Rock. Mm-hmm. So y'all best give me a ride or else when y'all get there, there ain't going to be no sheriff there. And y'all, you know, y'all gonna, not going to be able to collect your money, basically. Yeah, and he's, Walter Goggin, Walton, Walton, I'm sorry, his name is not Walton. He wanted to call him Anthony for some reason. <laughs> he, his name is Walton Goggins. He's also in the Righteous Gemstones. He's he's very often plays very obnoxious characters, and he has this like he has this like he moves like a snake. snake. Yeah, he just has this like very kind of like always moving his head around and his shoulders around and like a figure eight. And when he was in there for a moment in uh, uh, Django Unchained, I remember having a feeling of I felt like he was in it more just because his personality is such a like wait who the fuck. 
is this guy, you know? Yeah, and he he's just so irritating. Yes. Like, bes- besides him obviously being, like, this horrific racist confederate asshole, yeah. he just, his whole affect is so irritating. But, but here's the thing, here's the thing, like, it's even more, like, of the, the like, the type of, like, slippery fucking asshole yeah, personality yeah. is, right? So, you know, it kind of starts off saying, like, um, you know, it's like, well, uh, he says, like, he says, like, put on these handcuffs so, you know, I can trust you. And he's like, nope, I'm not doing that. I'm not rolling into Red Rock, you know, looking like a prisoner. And he goes like, oh, well, then you'll freeze. And it's like, well, then you won't get paid, <laughs> you know, and yeah. you'll get hanged yeah, for leaving the sheriff to die. There's a lot of these sort of psychological games of chicken. Yeah, it's these power games of like, well, you have to do this. And so it's like, that's what I mean. It's like, nobody likes each other. It's just these interconnected relationships that people are like dealing with because they have their own ends. Yeah. And it's and it feels like a thing like this is America. <laughs> you know, what, like what yeah. is very interesting to me, I think one of the most interesting relationships is the relationship between John Ruth and Daisy Domergu because she's his prisoner. He's literally taking her into Red Rock to to, die, yeah. to to get her hanged so that he can get money from from that. Yeah, and, I mean she's going to a trial, but it seems like yeah, yeah, yeah it's she's, not yeah. she's gonna be hanged. He's going to collect the money. She is uh, handcuffed to him most of the time. She's obviously, like, they're very much enemies. And yet, because they're handcuffed together, there are these little moments of cooperation between them where, like, when they get in and they're having to, like, nail the door shut together uh, or they're eating together or whatever. They're pouring each other a drink and they're kind of doing these little cooperation of, like, oh, can you get that for me? Yeah, yeah, I got that. Mm. And it's it's so interesting that it's, like, even though they're enemies and, like, literally... Where, like, they literally have to work with together. With life or death stakes, they still have these sort of little almost friendly moments between them because yeah. what's moment. the point of not doing that? Right, that would just, yeah, it's like, that would just be, like, then we can't eat if we're just going to, like, go back and forth with not being right. able to communicate with how our spoons are moving. Right, yeah, yeah. and then, um, so Goggins, uh, so Chris Mannix, Mannix in the... Uh, they're all four in the stagecoach together. He starts talking shit. He tells the story about Warren burning down the Confederate camp and all this. Uh, Ruth has Warren, who up in, after it gets very messy. Warren punches Daisy and then accidentally punches John Ruth out of the stagecoach. John Ruth is like, well, fuck you, puts handcuffs on him. And then when Mannix gets on, John Ruth goes, well, I can't, I trust him less. And so has Warren put a gun on Mannix and Mannix starts talking shit. And then, uh, when when he gets threatened with the gun, is like, oh, I didn't mean to be talking. Oh my god! So the way, no, 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 the way this fucking went out had me so fucking angry at him. Like, just it was one of those things where you know they're talking about how they honestly feel, right? They're like, you know, uh, like why did you start the civil war? We were your brothers fighting for our dignity, you know the fucking excuse. And um and then you know Sam is like, well, how many black people you know did you kill to you know for for your so called dignity? And he's like, as many as I needed, uh, you know, to keep the blacks scared because that's what keeps whites safe. Because when black people are scared, the white people are safe. And then like you know, it, like it kind of gets to that heated moment. It's like, oh, is that how you feel? Is that like our you know dispensableness and da da da? And then it's that specific moment. It's like. No, no, no. Y'all got me talking politics. See, I was just trying to be civil. We don't so, have to get into so that. It's so disingenuous. And it's like, this is where power is. This is what actually matters. And you're trying to slip out of it. As a politician yourself, you're trying to slip out of it. Oh, no, it's just politics. It's just yeah. the things that it... This is just the moving things that we have to do. What are you talking about? And it's like, no, no, no. There's a reason. You feel some type of way. This isn't just politics. This is like how you want to enact your... 
white supremacy. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like because it's so easy to sort of like you know I, I you know we hear a lot of like you know I I know growing up in Georgia like I heard a lot of stories about oh here was this like. Union general and Confederate general that were in the old folks' home together after the war, and isn't that cute? But, but then not thinking about like the actual differences, like the actual ideological really, differences that led them to do what they wanted to do. Yeah, right. The actual really important, you know, because it wasn't just an accident of of geography. Like the brother versus brother thing was that you would sometimes have in a family some brothers go off to fight for the Confederacy and some brothers fight for the Union because of the ideals being different. Yeah. Um, um, but it's so, like, but honestly, it's like, but let's just call it what it is. Whenever you look at the ideals of like the 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 traitors, let's just call it what they were. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's just like, oh, uh, the state's rights, my individual rights to own other people. Right. <laughs> like that's always what it goes down to. Right, and so and so this guy just going like, oh, this is just politics. Let's let's not talk <laughs> about that. And it's like, well, you're telling this guy that like, he should be owned. So, yeah, exactly. Like, owned or t- killed. Right. You know? He's telling this guy that he should either be killed, enslaved, or terrorized. Yeah. So, oh, but it's just politics. You right. Know, like, and then it is kind of like almost a cartoony moment where he like slinks. Yeah. He slinks over to the side of the carriage and like puts his hat I'm over his face. This uh, wagon rock me to sleep. <laughs> he looks like a snake going down in a yeah. hole. Um, so they get to Minnie's, and they're talking about Minnie's is not just a name. Minnie is a person. Yeah. Minnie is a woman. They're talking about Minnie and say Minnie, she's doing such and such. So Minnie's a specific person. They get to Minnie's, and we just see this guy come out, Senior Bob. Senior yeah. Bob, uh, and he uh, and and they're talking about just getting the the blizzard's starting to rage at this point. They're talking about getting the horses put away. Um, and is he actually is Bennett? Because it was like one of those things that I was watching it was like, why is he? Like, it felt like him and Tim Roth were putting on such affected accents, and it was making me like, why are they doing that? I believe, <laughs> so, Demian, Demian. He is, he is here, Mexican, okay. He, he is Mexican, um, I think maybe, like, I, I don't know. It, I, I think it was just partially because, like, his face felt like it was covered a lot of the time, so they just felt like... He has this he, big he, way he was starting with all people, no, no, no. Yeah, but has, you barely see him, so it's just like this feel of like, why is he acting like that? You know? Yeah, he has sort of a muppety bearing. Yeah, <laughs> like, like he reminds me a little of Sweetums. And, and I'm not, yeah, yes. And I'm not gonna lie to you, I did not like Tim Roth's like accent, the way it was so affected until until you find out. Where I was like, right? Oh, so we'll, we'll get to that. I thought it was so funny. Tim Roth's like very fruity, posh. Yeah, because I was like, wait, I know you are British, but why do you sound like this? This you are putting out on putting, a thing. He's like, putting on the super pot. Good good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm Osborne Mowbray. And then, like, I, I think the like, first thing like, I feel like your name is actually Mowbray, but because you're British, you say Mowbray. Like, well, it was one of the, it like, was, that's what I was thinking when I first heard his name, you know? It was so funny to me that I think just the funniest moment when somebody says to him, like, they're like, Oswaldo Mowbray. And he goes, yes. Which yeah, is yeah. <laughs> this little like eyebrow and it's so freaking funny. Yeah, he's <laughs> such a uh, weirdly affected personality but unlike, um, what was that movie that we watched in the 90s, The Four Rooms, where his over like the topness was just like annoying me with here it's just like, I feel, oh my god. I like, feel like Tim Roth is fantastically talented and yeah. he was just badly oh, directed yeah. in Four Rooms. Yeah, clearly. And part of that was having four different directors. Yes, yeah. but it is fascinating like when I, I remember watching Reservoir Dogs and feeling like that is Tim Roth. You know when you like that's watch it, right. you're like, oh, that's what that guy actually talks yeah. like. And then having that moment, like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Pretty. When Tim Roth is well directed, he is unstoppable. He's really good. Yeah. Um. So basically, Bob comes out, meets them, says, "Get the horses." 
Obi and Bob and uh, Marquis uh, go. And is there one more who go? It's Obi, Bob, and Marquis that go to put the horses away. Yeah, and they and don't they also set up a? They set up a little like they're basically trying to set up a thing between the places so that they can walk and they, and and they get go the to set up a line right. Yeah, and, and it was one of those moments. Where, like as they're doing it, you hear like the, this falling music. And yeah. like they're, as they're in the snow and like trying they're, to like they're push, literally like falling over onto their knees because the blizzard is getting yeah, so bad at this and point. trying to like uh, hook everything up and it just really gives you that moment like oh my god like it sucked living in this time so, yeah <laughs> so they're trying to get in they can't get the door open and oh every Bob, time they have to open the they door have to, they have to like somebody shouting somebody <laughs> shouting you have to kick it in you have to kick it yeah. in so they kick it in they get in the blizzard is raging and they're trying to shut the door and it won't stay shut and uh and everybody who's inside is shouting you have to nail the Shut nails yeah, shut. Yeah. There's nails and boards by the door. Nails shut. So, I uh, yeah. I do not know why, but I remember having this thought when I first saw the movie, and I had this thought again the second time I saw the movie that when that happens, when they come in and it's chaotic and they can't get the door shut and everybody's shouting at them, you have to nail each other. For some reason, that moment felt very familiar to me. I felt like this is something, and I can't think what exactly in my life this reminded me of, but I was like, I feel, it felt like a very real moment, and it felt like a moment I've experienced, and I could not tell you it's why. It's interesting, because like it is fascinating to say, because like, it is the one moment in the film where everyone is working together to tell people what to do. It's like, yeah. this is what you gotta do, I, like, you gotta do this. You I know? mean, it's like, just any time, like, if you've been in a situation where there's some piece of machinery or something that's just hinky and just doesn't work right. Yeah, and, and everyone like, at the same time is noticing. Like, oh, you gotta do this. You yeah. gotta do this. It's, it's tricky. You gotta do it this way. Yeah. Um, so, they're, they all get inside except for, um, I think, OB. OB gets in right after, like, because the, well, so. Because there's a specific scene where he, he breaks in, he's like, oh, I'm not going out there again, and he comes in and just, like, that, warms himself yeah, with, that, that, with that big grizzly coat, and as he, like, shivers, it looks so weird, like, from behind, or it looks like an actual bear is, like, Yeah, naked. that that happens a little later, because we see, for a while I was going, okay, wait a second, where is Marquis, where's, did he disappear, because I was wondering where he was for a little bit, and then somebody said he's out in the stable. He was out with Senior Bob. Right, and so he and Senior Bob are in the stable, which we see them later having a tense interaction. Yeah. Uh, but so they get, they're, they're all sort of introducing themselves. We see the general, uh, Bruce Dern, uh, who's been sitting in this armchair by the fire. And I don't think he ever moves from that chair. He never, no. <laughs> he never gets up from that chair. He just reminds me of like one of those mean little poodles. Like one of those mean yeah, little ow, ow, He's got, he, he does, he lo- he's got that like old man like thing of I'm gonna bite you with yeah, my the, little... uh, cranky cantangerous you know like yeah. he's, like, he's this very frail looking but he's got big old teeth and he looks like he's gonna bite you and, and you know what's funny I feel like as a kid I would have run into a person like this who's like older and been like I need to be reverent and I need to think about it but as a, like an adult who like actually thinks about like how human beings are and we, that we can actually be human to one another and seeing this person act later he's acting like a fucking child in this movie yeah, yeah. well which you know sometimes you see old people act like that <laughs> yeah. I, you you know what it reminded me of a little bit is that like there's the there's a video that these German people took of their grandmother who's like fucking in her nineties and sitting at the table and clearly senile but she just keeps going. Hi, Lila. 
Like, and they're like, no, 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 grandma, don't oh. say that. And she keeps doing it. Oh. And they're like laughing about it and filming her. But I'm like, fuck her. Like, I don't care. She's yeah, fucking exactly. 90. Like, she's a fucking Nazi. You still believe Nazi you know? shit, man. And that's kind of what it reminded me of is like, yeah, he's this like helpless, doddering old man, but also he's a hateful, well, horrible person. And, and it's so funny to think because like, I feel like in, in, you know, I'm sure there, like, there are more, like, everyone has hateful people or whatever. But I feel like in like black families, what I think about it is like, there's no like, Accepted uh, wisdom of the idea of the hateful uh, uh, grandfather or right. something like that, right? Well, like, because I was like, wait, like, it's all white comedian sin. It's like, oh man, that really sucks to have that relative that you're supposed to love, and then you're just like, oh, I guess I just have to be okay. Yeah, with that. right. No, like, that's something that, you only hear in like the comedy writer things of yeah, like white and, like, shows. That's you know? been like a weird. That's a weird thing because I've been lucky, I guess, that like you know my parents are pretty liberal and like. I didn't grow up with that. Oh, you know, and my grand, I mean, that's just how he is. Yeah. Like my grandparents, like my grandfathers were both my, my mom's parents got a little more conservative as they got older. My dad's father was a, you know, just got more and more liberal until the day he died. Um, and, and they were both raging, you know, like raging Democrats in the sixties when that was the Hmm. thing. And, um, and I remember my grandfather this is a total tangent, but my grandfather being at a party with mostly Republicans uh, in mm-hmm. this. This is a story my mom told me in like the 60s and he got in an argument with some Republican and, and the Republican eventually got so mad. He said, you just you take your beard and go. Oh, the fuck? But, you know, but we didn't have that. Like my one I do have like a racist conservative uncle mm. and my mom doesn't talk to him because right, <laughs> like, right, right. he's a racist conservative. Like, you react to a person that you're supposed to react, you know? Like, but yeah, but there is that idea, like, the tacit acceptance, like, oh, with a lot of white people, like, oh, you know, they're just old and no, 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 no. It's like, no, that's like, like, they're a human being having ideas and saying, (laughs) like, there were white people marching for civil rights in the 50s. Like That's being, the thing, yeah. being young and white in the 50s was not actually an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, uh, and I thought it was interesting getting to, uh, like, so as we, you know, get, get a feel for who the other characters are, I remember coming to Joe Gage's character, and his whole thing was that, like, it, because they bring up, you know, um, uh, Kurt Russell is kind of like, you know, weary of everyone. He's trying to like, you know, who are you? Who are you? Say who you are. You know, and he gets to uh, Joe Gage and he's like, you know, I'm a j- I'm just coming home to see my mother for Christmas. Yeah, he's like. And it was one of those things where it was like, it seemed like, oh, is this guy the badass? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh. Oh, he just wants to see his mom. Yeah. I was, I was like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. like you think he's a bad guy, but you know, you think because of the voice, but then you see he's actually like kind of tender hearted. Eh? He just wants. To I don't know. I there. see. It's hard because like, and I had actually forgotten. Like I said, I had forgotten the ending. It was seven years ago. I saw this movie before, so I couldn't remember what the ending was, what the outcome was with everything. I couldn't remember what his deal was, and so I genuinely was like, oh yeah, is he just a cowboy? Like, just is coming he, to see his mom for know, Christmas. But and part of this is like my. Michael Madsen, like, is always playing a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> He's always playing some psycho killer. So Michael Madsen, it's like, no, I, I don't believe you're just wanting some cowpoke who wants to see his mama. Like, right, there's, right. Something, there's something about the way he's like, you know, seeing your mother for Christmas is a wonderful thing. He just sounded like, I don't know, so like it felt like the Godfather or something. Like mm, there was too much of a too kind of a bad to me. Yeah. To me, it was just sort of sinister in a yeah. weird way. I was like, mm, I don't trust him. Mm. Um, but he he does give no indication of being anything other than a simple cow punch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
so I think that's and and then yeah, so I think that's all the characters. So those are the hateful eight. Is we've got the two bounty hunters, the prisoner, the sheriff, the Mexican, the cowboy, the little man, the little British dude, and mm. the old Confederate general. Um, and I had a there were a few moments where. It is really interesting seeing those shifting relationship dynamics because there were moments where if you took it out of context and you didn't know anything about who these people were or mm. what the backstory was, would have a different emotional resonance. So, like, mm. Chris Mannix um, sees the Confederate general and is, mm. you know, very like, oh, like, this is the hero to him. Respectful he's like, sir. And, and yeah. he's like, you know, sitting down and bringing him food and is like, you know, oh, here's this old man who's like, I have so much admiration for him. And the old man's like, oh, you young man, like, you're a good good boy. And I, yeah. And they have this, like, if you didn't know that they're both Confederates yeah. and that that's what they're talking about, it would be this very sweet, like, it's, it's like, if this were, I kind of had this moment with North where it was like, if you just made this sci-fi and you set it in a completely alien world, mm. if this was like Star Wars and this was just like, they were, you know, veterans of some con- some alien conflict that we didn't know anything about. <laughs> it would right. be like, oh, that's so sweet. Helping but, this war veteran. <laughs> but knowing that they're Confederates, it's like, oh, but... And so yeah. it's like this weird emotional dissonance watching them. Yeah, and there's a specific scene where he's like asking him to come sit with the, the people to come eat. You know, it's like... And, the, like, Goggins is trying to be so, like, genteel. It's like, oh, you've got to sit with us. Come on. You, you, we, we should get you at least a blanket. Or and, like, Bruce Dern is just being like, I'm not sitting with that nigger. No, not, no, nigger, not, no, no, no. Right. And he's like, he's like, you're a soldier. And a sir, you should be, you know, doing what I say. And not that. You shouldn't even be touching a commanding officer and all this yeah. sort of shit. But it's like, as soon as you break it down, you're just like, he's being a fucking child over I, what? Like, I will also, yeah, he just, he, he seems like a nasty, like a nasty toddler yeah he just doesn't want to sit with a gig i I will say i have not seen django in a few years i saw that in theaters and i don't think i've seen it since so i don't remember for sure but so correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like this movie has like the highest n-word count uh no no django's higher higher? (laughs) django's definitely but this one's definitely getting there but (laughs) it is just all of the characters yeah the way they just so flippantly say it non-stop but, and so it, and, but again it keeps running into that thing where it's just like is this it like Quinn being like overly you know thing or is this just I mean it is 18 you know right. what I mean like, so it's like you've got <laughs> it's right after the Civil War you've got all these white people right. two of whom or two of whom are Confederate veterans one of whom is at least a Confederate sympathizer um, and and a and where they, we're in Wyoming Indian, I think yeah. In Wyoming, and you've got, which is the West, so yeah. that's like people coming from all over. You got a black Union veteran. I mean, yeah, there's going to be a lot of racial tension, but it was it was a little bit like, oh my God, it's just, <laughs> it's nonstop. Um, and then, uh, what is it? Yeah, because they talk about, oh my God, so they talk about the Baton Rouge Cavalry. Uh, where they talk about, uh, so, you know, th- th- there's the whole thing about, like, I'm, I'm not going to go over to you, I'm not going to sit with him, and da-da-da, and Samuel L. Jackson eventually... They, they divide the uh, they divide the room into two. Right. Like, like in a fucking sitcom, like, this is your half of the yeah, yeah. house, and this is my and half. And they have a moment where, you know, it's like, okay, the, the hate is being, like, established versus, like, I'm not fucking with this, like, racist, da-da-da, I'm not fucking with no black Negro who don't know his blade, da-da-da-da, like, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um... 
But there's the uh, Tim Roth kind of intervenes because he's the he's the uh, officiator of like you know who- he he does have this funny lie he goes no no gentlemen I know that Americans don't let a little thing like uh, unconditional <laughs> surrender get in the way of a war <laughs> yeah, goddamn and that hits so hard knowing about Walton Goggins character right? yeah they're literally they're literally Mannix and his whole crew refused to admit the war was over and kept yeah. quote unquote fighting and it is like that weird thing. To think about right this is like this really was the wild but like because what the fuck are they gonna do if you get fighting what what are you gonna do when it's 1865 what if they, if they wanted to keep going yeah. you gotta oh. wait to send two months to take send some people over you know what i mean Mowbray like, also has an interesting little speech it reminded me a little bit because he's he's serving drinks at the bar and has this little speech and it reminded me a little bit of the story time in four rooms at the end yeah. or of bill's speech at the end of kill bill volume two he's he's got a bar speech where he explains the difference between justice and frontier justice yeah dude i'm uh, still fine figuring out like what these characters lies and truths were like okay, as we're talking about it right now like oh mowbray, shit mowbray claims to be the hangman of red rock yeah so supposedly if everybody's telling the truth at this stage we have the sheriff of red rock the hangman of red rock yeah and, and and a bounty hunter bringing a prisoner to the sheriff and hangman of red rock yeah so it's like wow a lot of mighty fine coincidences up in here yeah and uh tim rob he says like you know it's like well you know if you if anyone shoots anyone you know without uh like you know like unless it's in self-defense mm. like i see it and you're gonna be like you're gonna be hung and you know what case are you gonna have right and he seems like despite the fact so Mannix. Despite the fact that he's supposed to be the sheriff, has no authority. He is an utter bozo. He is he is an oaf. Um, yeah, he's not someone that I would actually uh, feel safe seeing a, a sheriff badge yeah, on. Mowbray, <laughs> Mowbray seems to be sort of the authority. And in fact, I think the fact that he is... I was going to say the only not American, not American, Bob's Mexican, but that's still, you know, of the the (laughs) American. He's the only non North American. Yeah, yeah. So he's the only one. But there's Australian uh, later. Well, yeah, later. But of the people in the room right now, he's the only one who. You know, is not from the is not from the North American continent. Yeah, and that's um, all the context some, of what it's like. Has to be some here. Yeah. dispassion yeah. of the you know from the situation, so he sort of becomes this authority figure. Um, and also, I should say that at this point, almost everything we're seeing has been within minis, which is this one room. This one room space, pretty mm. big, but still a one room space. And it's like, and if it weren't for all the people that hate each other, it would. It is such a cozy space. It's like, very said, cozy. <laughs> like, if you were with friends, you would love to camp out in a blizzard in minis. Um, we uh, there's a big, big blue enamel coffee pot that's kind of the centerpiece because the um, when they first get in, John Ruth tastes the coffee, spits it out, says it sound, tastes like socks, yeah. makes a fresh pot of coffee. Um, but we also see this very uh, a little change of scene in the stables with Marquis and Bob early on. Yeah, where Marquis what? is questioning. Bob says, "Oh, Minnie's gone to visit, and Sweet Dave, who's her partner, I guess, have mm-hmm. gone to visit Minnie's mother over the mountain, and and she left me in charge." And um, but uh, Marquis, who who knows uh, who, a little who knows bit about Minnie. Minnie and Sweet Dave, is very skeptical and is kind of questioning, but keeps saying, "Oh, I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just asking questions." 
Yeah, um, yeah. But apart from that tense little conversation in the stables and then seeing uh, them trying to hammer in the line between the outhouse and the stables and the actual main building, everything's inside. And also everything has been taking place, you know, so Tarantino's known for playing with time. Mm-hmm. And he does in this movie, but up until the midpoint, everything is very much in order. We see we're f- mostly following, um, I guess we're with John Ruth most of the time. We're with Marquis most of the time, except for this, yeah. you know. So we're following either Marquis and or John Ruth from the very beginning through the stagecoach ride to minis all in order. So it's very like this very sort of conventional timing up until the midpoint of the movie. Mm-hmm. So are we ready to get to the midpoint? Cause that's when everything changes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I just wanted to comment real quick. Like I did not like the way the, the four parts were kind of cut up on the Netflix thing. Cause it was like, this obviously wasn't filmed like a four part show. So when you know how a normal TV show will give you like an ending of something, it'll be like, Oh snap. Okay. Where are we going to go now? You know, like, this kind of didn't really do that, where it was just like, uh, like now it goes, like it is a long movie where it feels like it could work as like an episodic thing, honestly. But then as they did it, it so didn't work. Like there's one part where they go like, oh, soup's on or something like that. And it's like, that ends the scene and it's just like, that was such a dud of a thing to end part two on. Like, it, like you know what I mean? It doesn't work as like laying out a story like that. Like, it, it's like I'd be like, no, I wouldn't want to end on this thing. No, this doesn't even work. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I think the chapters are not analogous to, like, episodes yeah. of a show. They, no. Um, so, we have that, you know, if, if, as I was, you were raised with hearing stories about, like, oh, this Union soldier and this Confederate soldier were friends. Isn't that sweet? Mm-hmm. Um, you the get- so-and-so voted for Trump. They were, remember that meme? Uh, they, yeah. And they're still friends. <laughs> you, know? yeah. you, get, um, you get this sort of fake-out moment where, you know, Je- the Confederate General Smithers has been incredibly... Na- which, I'm sorry, I can't hear the name Smithers. Smithers, without thinking yeah. Smithers from the yeah. But Confederate General Smithers um, has been incredibly nasty, predictably, to Major Warren throughout. But then Warren at one point is like, you know what? I'm sorry, I oh, shared man. a battlefield with this man, you know, fighting on opposite sides, but... Yeah, so a- let, let me talk to him for and a second. So brings him over some the food. the two chairs opposite the fire, the other chairs unoccupied. He sits down in the chair, he brings the old man some food, sits down, they're eating stew together, and they're having this sort of somewhat civil conversation and uh and we find out that uh general smithers or we found this out a little earlier that he um had come he's going to red rock to try and find out what happened to his son who went out yeah, there and just disappeared right. yeah, yeah. And, um, and oh i do want to bring up this line real quick because it's fascinating like uh, uh walter goggins at one point says like you know the only way white people are going to be safe is if black people is scared you know and it's fascinating to hear, like, a rhyme of that, as Samuel says, like, the only way, like, when he talks about the the Lincoln letter, right, he says, like, the only way a Negro is going to get by is by disarming white folks. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, does that happen? That happens before? Yes, That yes. does, that, right, so they're all eating together, and basically, the fact that uh, the, the, 
he's been claiming he was pen pals with Lincoln and Mannix kind of calls bullshit on that and points out how implausible it is. And John Ruth has this moment where, you know, he's clearly been very invested in that and feels very hurt and betrayed and is like, how, you know, how could you lie to me? How could you lie to me? And uh, yeah. And Major Warren is like, well, it got you to let me on that stagecoach and not freeze it, didn't it? And And, and, and in fact, he doesn't call out that like the the thing that John Ruth is uh, angry about the whole time is the idea of Chris Mannix being a sheriff. He's like, Bullshit. Every time he says he's a sheriff, he's like, no, but that's he, bullshit. Right, but he's completely credulous about the Lincoln letter mm. um, and and is clearly very, very hurt and not hearing Warren saying, look, I had to do this to survive. Like, this is this is not this is not just me doing this for kicks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so he sits down across from Confederate General Smithers and and it they're having this sort of apparently civil conversation. Where oh yeah, like, and while it's happening, uh, Bob is playing Silent. Oh uh, yeah, Silent Bob Night. is playing Silent Night on the piano, and it's like someone playing imperfectly, like and as it adds to this tension in such right. a perfect way, where he'll mess up on certain things and like they'll be saying a certain line like, that shifts oh, the shit. Like, yeah, like conversation. It's so fascinatingly. And like, then he starts it playing it better. Like at first, he's kind of playing it with one finger and messing uh-huh. it up a lot, and then he starts playing it better with chords and stuff, and it um. It's interesting how that starts to build. Yeah, so, you know, this is a Christmas movie. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, a very, very cozy holiday film with the snow and, you know, Winter Wonderland. So he... Gathering with people that you uh, hate. (laughs) So he's sitting across and he sounds, he's like, you know, he's saying, you know what, I think I met your boy. I know your boy. And and Smithers just looks like, oh, you met him, you know, please tell me. And and it's this moment where it... It almost sounds like it almost seems like it's going to be this sort of heartwarming connection yeah. between them, and then because he he starts talking about like oh you know because he's talking about his life it's like oh I met up with this woman and oh you yeah know, yeah yeah he, he draws out Smithers telling his life story and he's like telling about how he met his wife yeah bought some peach orchards got a good life set up and so you know the, and yeah that's what he brings up the, like oh yeah it's like I knew your boy he says no you didn't you know and it's like. Uh, it was like, wait, did, did you know my son? I was like, yeah, in fact, I, I met him on the day he died. And then, yeah, and then it takes a turn because it turns <laughs> out. So as Mannix had mentioned earlier, there was a bounty out on Major Warren because he burned down a Confederate camp and there were a lot of people coming after him. And uh, Smithers' son was one of the people coming after him trying to get the bounty. Warren yeah. gets the drop on him. And so then the Warren starts... Talking about how like, he like, could, now, now before he tells the story, he puts a gun next to oh, the yeah. old man. He lays down <laughs> a loaded gun next to General Smithers <laughs> and starts telling this drawn out story. And this was where it's like oh, man. Warren, this is where it's like they're all bastards. Warren is maybe like this, this story is where it crosses the line for him because it's like you know, don't blame me for killing the guy. Don't yeah. even necessarily blame me for torturing but him. But the, in, the indulgence, like but for the, the purpose the, where the it goes, just yeah. Content warning slash spoiler oh, alert. Boy. He basically sexually assaults yeah. Smithers' son, and this yeah. is like that moment where, and you're telling the story. It's like this may or may not have happened, right? Uh, this may not have happened because the point of this is him just trying to provoke Smithers right. into shooting at him so that he then has an excuse to shoot Smithers. Yeah. Um, but he basically tells Smithers that, you know... He, in graphic detail. In graphic detail that he made Smithers' son walk naked through the snow for hours and then suck his dick. And, and, and it is so fascinating how, like, 
the movie through how it like gets you to feel cold and gets you to right. feel what warm is and gets you to like really feel that and then switch to this open air moment where it's like it's not doing much to really like show you but it's like because it's mm-hmm. built up the film language of showing you how cold feels when you see this guy walking like ah, just walking just through the cold naked like you except feel for it snowshoes yeah you feel it as yeah. you're watching him just like writhe as he walks you know yeah. what I'm saying and also this moment too is really important it's the midpoint of the film and it's also the first time we see anything other than straightforward chronological narration it's the first time we see we're seeing this flashback or this cut to a specifically different looking a wide open place you know well and specifically we're showing what warren is talking about we're seeing the story we're not just watching warren tell the Mm. story we're seeing in flashback or if it's fictional a cutaway telling of this story and this is the first time we're seeing anything other than following the characters in quasi real time yeah And, and and um i think it's interesting that it's like you know, okay, so, right, the, the power dynamics, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this man is super mad that uh, uh, Marcus Warren killed his son, but why did uh, Marcus Warren kill because his son? Because his son was trying to kill him. Yeah, exactly, so it's yeah. just like, okay, so who's justified here, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Right, and now it's like, regardless of anything... I feel like if anybody describes how they sexually assaulted, <laughs> tortured, and killed your kid, yeah. you're going to have that reaction yeah. regardless of how justified anything may or may not be. So, right, right. But I just think it's funny how that that's a little bottle of like the idea of how these relationships of right. hate. Like, it doesn't matter if you're more justified or not. You still did this. You yeah, know, like... Yeah, they're all hateful. Like, yeah. They're all hateful hate. Um, yes. Title drop. <laughs> but so, um, so, basically, Warren provokes Smithers successfully into picking up the gun and firing at him, but of course Warren's a quicker draw and shoots him dead instead. And that is the first on screen. I mean, there's bloodshed in the sense of like Domergue. By the way, I think part of what makes Jennifer Jason Lee's performance so good is like she, I mean, this was like a makeup and directing choice, but she really works with it. Mm. Her face is bloodied. When we first see her, she has a black eye, but then yeah. almost immediately her nose get blood, gets bloodied and her face is bloodied throughout the movie and it just gets bloodier and bloodier. Yeah. So she just looks she like, like freaking carry at one point. <laughs> she, looks, she just looks like, and her teeth get punched out and she just oh, looks, yeah. she looks like this creature from beyond the grave. And, uh, well, I was thinking about it in terms of like, you know, Okay, here's this woman that has no value to these men, and mm-hmm. so it's okay. Well, for she them does to, have value. She got yeah, yeah, right. dollars But not as like a person to no, engage just, with, right? So there's no respect. You right. Know what I'm the saying? only thing is that they need to keep her alive in order for the hangman because he has this thing. He's got to get his prisoner alive to the hangman. That's very important to him. Um, that she does not die. The most important thing is that she does not die. That she dies by hanging. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but the first bloodshed in terms of somebody actually dying is Smithers getting shot at the midpoint of the movie and then that is i from what i recall during the road show that was where the intermission happened Mm. and in the streaming version that works yeah i rented it from amazon but in the in the streaming version which i think was the same as what you saw on netflix Mm. uh that's the end of chapter two Mm. um and so we get this big moment of it's the first time we're cut away from the main action it's the first time we see violence and then we come back to, and this actually reminded me of 
midway through Inglorious Bastards when we suddenly have Samuel L. Jackson narrating. Yeah, uh, but my thing is, Samuel L. Jackson's voice coming in and narrating, that was like a fucking, this is weird, it came out of nowhere, but because it's Samuel L. Jackson, I'm like, when this happened, I got so pulled out of the movie, where it was just like, is that... Is that Oswaldo Morbury talking? Who the fuck? Right, because it's, it's Tarantino. I had to look it up. It's Tarantino. What the fuck? No, that's that, not good. And that's see, stupid. Here's the thing, because like I wanted to. Um, I fucking knew the way he was talking just made me go like, what is it? Right, because it's like. I had a moment where I was like, is this going to do Because Tarantino likes giving himself little, you know, little cameos. cameos but the thing is, so he's got a somewhat distinctive voice, but I feel like it, like Samuel, you hear Samuel L. Jackson speak, you know that Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino's voice is somewhat it's it's less it's, power to it than well, Samuel but, for sure. But it's also it's like it's it's fairly recognizable, but not to the degree that like yeah, like I had to look it up and I was like, who's that talking? Oh, it's Tarantino. Okay, yeah, but it is a little distracting because what it literally feels like is oh fuck, I forgot to film something. Let me just uh, patch it over by saying so, what happens. Yeah, you know so what I he, mean? Like <laughs> he, he so then. Midway through, we get a lot more violence, a lot more playing around with time. We yeah. get Tarantino's narration. It starts feeling... Because it, apart from the just over-the-top use of the N-word by white people, <laughs> it doesn't feel a whole lot... Like, it actually, to me, doesn't feel a whole lot like a Tarantino movie. There's little mm, touches. Yeah. It doesn't feel super atypical, and there is, it, like... It, it, it feels like it is strictly about the conversation. Like, whereas, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times people say, like, Quentin Tarantino movies are really deep conversations mm. and then really explosive violence. Right. And with this, the violence was like, it was there and it definitely pops out at a certain moment. Yeah. But it feels like it is all of, it feels like 90% conversation. Up until, you know? I would say that up until uh, Marcus Warren's story that he tells Smithers, the only thing that felt like a really, really like Tarantino moment was uh, Oswaldo Mowbray explaining the nature of justice yes. versus frontier yes. justice. <laughs> Everything else was like, if I didn't know anything and you told me somebody else had directed this movie, I would believe you. Yeah. Um, so, like, oh, word. Uh, dude who did this, uh, uh, Brian, uh, what, Ryan, what's his name, is doing another whodunit. You right. Know? <laughs> Which, you know, I don't say that as a bad thing. I think it's no. good that Tarantino is not leaning so hard into his yeah, style. Yeah, stylistic. Like, like, this is just a story that is really well told. Right. Yeah. So, I don't say that as a bad thing. But, yeah, midway through, then all of a sudden, it's like Tarantino leaning into the, the time playing, the violence, the very stylized. Because we get... So the narration where he's saying, let's back up a little. While this was going on, somebody poisoned the coffee. And the only person who saw it happen was Daisy Domingo. Yeah. And we see these moments happening from another angle. Right. And it would be nice if there was some sort of internal motivation with how the movie... Because like you do that in movies where it's like, oh, why are we backing up? Oh, because now there really is this new character that is the same thing. But it's like, there's no new characters. It's just... Oh shit, we gotta explain yeah, this thing. So we, okay, I, so here we go. I think you know, we, like, we could have maybe seen somebody poison the coffee. Maybe and maybe I don't know. I didn't go back. Did we see who poisoned it? I don't think we We really, don't see, we just see hands. Yeah. Now And and also there's like, like it's a big room where everyone's looking at each other. Like, I don't care if someone like I guess someone could be looking at someone, but like there's not enough spaces for well, someone to be like I'm walking over here now and doing that. Like, someone's going to notice someone doing that. You know right, I mean? although everybody's always... It's a big, big pot of coffee. Everybody's drinking hot coffee because it's yeah. cold. So people are always going over and messing with the That's coffee That's true, pot. so maybe they... So it's yeah. not necessarily... You're not going to see somebody yeah. messing with the coffee pot and think, oh, he's poisoning That's it. a good point, yeah. Um, 
so there's that little like oh somebody that chapter is called Daisy's got a secret because she sees somebody poisoning and she doesn't say anything right um and then we get so it's it's all forward momentum from there of we see Obi, poor Obi. Yeah, I poor Obi. He's, he's the one who's not hateful. Obi's yeah. not hateful. He just is the stagecoach driver. Well, he hates them for having him outside in the cold. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I wrote down, I literally wrote down, what in the fuck? Who's talking right now? So, John, John Ruth and Obi drink coffee, and then we see them both barfing blood violently. Oh my God, yes. Obi is like on his hands and knees barfing blood, and I thought we were going to see him shitting blood at the same time, too. I thought we were yeah. going to see that until he falls over. And, and it was fascinating, like, when, you know... It, it looks like a South Park moment. Yes, it does. But, uh, and then, so those two barf blood to death, basically. Yeah, and right before uh, uh, Chris Maddox takes a drink, he's Maddox going, Maddox huh? has, like, a cup of coffee and, and, like, very closely, like, he's got it raising to his lips and then ends up, like, throwing, realizing and throwing the coffee down. So he narrowly avoids that happening, which is important because Warren sees him almost drink the coffee and then knows that he's not the one who poisoned it. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's what I think is so fascinating, right? Because we have these interrelationships that shift based on the information, right? right? So now here's this guy that, for all intents and purposes, Marcus Houston should absolutely hate and and not in any way be affiliated with. Because it's like, oh, here's this fucking right. Mannix know. and Warren hate each other, but at the moment, there it's the two of them against three potential poisoners. Right. So Daisy is basically chained up. She's chained to dead Kurt Russell. Yeah. Um, the Smithers has been shot, and so we've got, and you know, Mannix obviously didn't poison the coffee because he almost drank it. So we've got Bob Mowbray and Gage. We've got the Mexican, the little man, and the cowpuncher who hmm. are potentially one of them potentially poisoned the coffee. So Warren and Mannix team up against them and basically make the three of them get up against the wall and start trying to figure out who poisoned yeah. the coffee. And the first thing Marquis kind of does is kind of like you know gesture in a way at like you know senior obama being like so you know what were you doing da, 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 what did you know and he's like ah, i was actually playing the piano so while while you were telling the story so i couldn't have done anything and he's like well, you know while the poisoning happened he's like wait i didn't say you poisoned the coffee but there was food that was eaten so right. what about so, that you know like, right so warren follows up on he was questioning bob in the stables and he has this this was like this moment was what really made me feel like warren is Hercule Poirot. I can never say that name. Mm. Warren is like the Agatha Christie detective because he's mm. saying, well, you know, you know, the stew yeah. this morning tasted like Minnie's stew. So I know that Minnie must have made the stew this morning. And but you said she was gone for a week. Yeah. Right? So he has this very like, you know, this very detective moment. Yeah. Of of pointing out why Bob is clearly a liar, whether or not you know he may have not poisoned the coffee himself, but Bob is still not to be trusted. Yeah. Um. So it was either Joe Gage or Mowbray who poisoned the coffee. And um, I love the point where they're like, you know, it was either you or you, and Sammy lays it out, and then Chris Mannix says like, or we could be judging by who's the ugliest motherfucker here, and that's why I'm looking at you, Joe Gage. Yeah. <laughs> like, this yeah, is like Mannix, awesome Mannix like has it out for Joe Gage. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so they, so the three of them are up against the wall and then, um, at what point I think that, I think that we then get, oh, no, no, no. Cause what happens is then we get the big reveal that the camera pans down below the floorboards yeah. and we see Channing Tatum looking up That's with a gun, it's okay. Channing Tatum with a, with a gun aimed up 
at the floor above him going, say goodbye to your nuts. What does he say? Or he says, say goodbye to your, your huevos. And oh, he, yeah, And yeah, he yeah. shoots Samuel Jackson in the oh, nuts. Oh, my God. It's so and that's insane. when we get the flashback to earlier that morning where we see the six-horse stagecoach arrive with Zoe the cat. Yeah. Zoe Bell. Not uh, only Zoe the cat, who has not yeah. come in yet. She hasn't yeah, been screaming at us. Girl from uh, Death Proof and whatnot. Right. So Zoe Bell... Uh, being a Kiwi, not trying mm. to not be a Kiwi, uh, she comes in and we meet Minnie. We meet Minnie and another woman who's there plucking a chicken and yeah, and, sweet it's so, Dave. and it's so fascinating seeing this scene because again, it feels like such a reprieve from everyone hates each other. Everyone's trying to figure out who's lying. And then seeing this scene, it's like, oh look, it's cordial. It, hey, it's how just, you doing? Yeah, Welcome it's to our store. A bunch of like <laughs> stagecoach passengers coming in, and it's so funny because uh, Zoe Bell's character is Six Horse Judy. And she's kind of like a little tour guide and she's yeah. like, she jumps down and she's very spry. Like, I feel like she cannot move without looking like she's on a balance beam. Right. Like, just bouncing around. So, yeah. And she's like, yeah, she's like, well, come on in and get some coffee in you. And she's, um, it's so funny. She's just playing herself. And I really, what I was amused by is that the dialogue through this section between Minnie and Judy seems very almost stylized and like heightened and performative. But then I realized that is not, um, hold on, what's her name? I need to look up the actress because the actress playing Minnie is named, what is her face? Um, uh, Dana Gourier, I think is how you say her last name. So Dana Gourier playing Minnie that's not Dana Gourier and Zoe Bell acting over the top. That is Minnie and Judy doing their little act for the Stagecoast Passengers, which if you've ever worked in like any kind of tourism or hospitality, Girl. you know how you do the little like, Cheers. all right, folks, like get on the bus yeah. and don't forget to buckle your seat belts and we're going to have, right. like it's this very like, like you can tell this is like a little, because they're kind of like sitting there, like Minnie and Judy are sitting there having like a little like, you know, sort of, pretend spat where she's like make the coffee I'm not gonna make that coffee you make the coffee like like this little spat but it's like they're doing this cutesy little act for the stagecoach passengers mm-hmm. which for anybody who's worked in hospitality will recognize what they're doing yeah. that I thought was a funny touch um, and so among the stagecoach passengers are um, I can't remember what his character's name uh, Jody Domingue mm-hmm. so that's uh, Daisy Domergu I it's so Jody Domingue and Daisy Domergu are brother and sister. Yeah. So it's not clear like if they just have two different names that happen to be similar, or if somebody is mispronouncing Domingue as Domergu or what's going know. on there. Yeah. But anyway, so Jody, Bob, Joe Gage, whose actual name is Grouch. Yeah. yeah. And, Os- and Oswaldo. And Oswaldo. They're all in goods. They're all the, they're the Domingue gang and they get in there. And when we hear Oswaldo actually, uh, he's, so Oswaldo at first is still doing the kind of like posh accent because, um, (laughs) because somebody is, uh, flirting with, um, is flirting with, oh, it's, uh, it's uh, Jody, I think is, is flirting with, or is it is it Joe Gage? Anyway, one of the one of the Domingue gang is flirting with Joe uh, Judy and saying like, "Oh, that's a cute little accent." You know, is that English? And Tim oh, yeah. goes, "I 
I resent that. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't appreciate that remark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to look this up because I was like, was New Zealand colonized at that point? And yeah, like, yeah. Will, Will, she says she's from um, uh, uh, Wellington. And Wellington was, I think, colonized and formed as a city in 1840. So, oh, okay. uh, so it would have been a fairly new city. But yes, having having a... Uh, a white Kiwi from Wellington would have been a possible be thing yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah. Um, and she, and so she's kind of flirting and one of them uh, gets the woman who's been plucking a chicken to go up and get jelly beans off a ladder. Um, they're, they're like flirting with, oh, cause yeah, Jody's flirting with Minnie and speaking French to her. He's got, he's got sort of a Cajun accent um, which is interesting because Daisy doesn't. Daisy just has sort of she a doesn't? redneck accent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and he's got that sort of Cajun, like, French accent. Yeah. Uh, and he's speaking they, French. Wait, did someone... They came from Baton Rouge, right? There was a... Uh, that was one of the battles that had happened, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, there's sometimes siblings who grow up different... Who yeah, grow up yeah, separately. I mean, they so. clearly have different names. <laughs> well, that, that was so weird, but... Uh, so... Yeah, so we get this flashback where they're, you know, in there and they're being, uh, you know, they're being all friendly and flirty and then just open fire and start shooting everybody. They shoot Sweet Dave, they shoot Minnie, they shoot the lady off the ladder getting the yeah. jelly beans, they shoot Judy, and they also shoot, there's a guy, uh, Charlie, who's been putting the horses away. Right, he was outside coming and he, in. And he almost gets away and I couldn't remember because I thought, oh, Is maybe. Is that why the door broke? I think because it is. they shot him. Yeah, yeah they shot him. and I think they shoot him like in the leg, and he's kind of limping and trying and to. He's get trying away. to get away, and it was so that thing where I, I was like, "Oh my god!" I thought I thought it was like, "Oh, maybe he'll get to Red Rock and he'll get some help," but no, he goes and hides like in the in the shed, and they yeah, because like he wouldn't have been him. able to like they would have been able to see him. He's yeah. not gonna get far, and I was like, "Oh damn!" <laughs> so they massacre everybody. Um, they massacre everybody, and then and all of the it, it, like the violence is very like when it happens, it's very it's very it's like, very sudden. Except, but for, but it, it has like like heft to it. Like when he gets shot, you hear like a like you oh, see like yeah. shit blow and of course, out. You know, from they the shoot thing. the lady getting the jelly beans, and the jar of jelly beans explodes and goes, goes oh, everywhere. Yeah. So um, General Smithers was there, was already there, sitting there playing checkers <laughs> or chess with Sweet Dave. And they're, you know, instead of killing him, Bob points out, like, hey, you know, if there's nobody here, it's going to look weird. Yeah. We should leave this old man because he's he adds some, uh, you know, he adds some, some ambiance. So hmm. Jody basically says, hey, I want to rescue my sister. I'll kill you if you say anything, but we want to let you live. You sit here, mind your own business. And and then you you know we'll let you live and and it's like we, yeah that's fine I don't care yeah, about these so, people <laughs> um so that's and then that takes us right up to uh the you know the four we see at the beginning coming up and banging on the door and we hear them you gotta kick it in kick it yeah, in yeah. nail shot nail shot so that takes us right up to the action of the beginning of the movie and then it jumps forward in time again. To okay, now the only ones left alive are uh, Mannix and Warren and Bob and Gage and Mowbray and Daisy, and then we see Daisy's brother. Um, and so Mannix and Warren are shot. They're like leaning against a bed. 
Uh, yeah, oh yeah, and I love the, the the fact that like you know Oswaldo like okay so him having this really affected accent and then having that moment of like oh yeah we yeah she talks like a fucking yeah, yeah a bloke hear, from we hear him talking in this sort of like co- Cockney accent yeah exactly yeah. and I was like wow so it is a put on wow because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like you know if you come to America you know you're going to more believe me if I have a very posh accent mm-hmm. as opposed to you know if he has that accent you're not going to believe him you know like right, yeah, yeah sounds sounds dangerous yeah so there's that partial play of like you know. Know, like the like part of like class in like you know right. What those he's things not are. he's not gonna he's not gonna fool Henry Higgins, but he can fool some Americans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so now we're back to back to the end. Warren has poor Warren has been shot in the nuts. He's oh, bleeding man. out. I was so like intense. looking. I was like looking up like. When did they isolate testosterone and be able to do injectable hormone replacement therapy? It was in the 1930s. So even if he didn't bleed out, he was going to be uh, like, as well. It's very like, now there have been eunuchs throughout history who have led like long and... and sure, and, opera singers uh, can yeah. attest to that. But <laughs> generally speaking, it's not very healthy to not have any sex hormones in your body. And also if you are a man, then not having testosterone in your body feels really terrible. Mm. Ask me how I know. Mm. Uh, mm. And... Um, so, uh, you know, so you've got poor Warren, who's basically as well bleeding out. Um, Mannix has been shot in the leg. Uh, seems to be slightly better off, but still he's been shot in the yeah. thigh, I think. So they're, you know, hunkered up against the bed and looking at, at Daisy's chained to the dead John Ruth. And uh, and Jody, her brother, is like under the floor, but they're looking at the um, they're looking at the the trap door leading to the basement yeah. and shouting at him, and finally say like, "Okay, you come up." And this was to me. You don't throw up your gun. We're gonna kill this bitch. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. They threaten. They basically because they know they're all there for Daisy, yeah. and they threaten to kill her if he doesn't come up and and shoot and throw. There was kind of a really funny <laughs> moment where they said, "We're gonna kill her if you don't." throw your gun up so he throws the gun up and then Warren says throw your other pistol up here he's like I don't have a second one I don't have a second one and he goes well then you better shit one out of your ass in the next 30 seconds and and so he throws another one up so like wow and, and he said it looks over to the dudes and like see yeah. so um which is like come on this is the wild west they're gunslingers he just he exactly yes, get out of here so um so then he he finally comes up and you have again this moment that out of context if you don't know who these people are it's very heartwarming where he looks at his sister and he says hey there dummy how you doing and she goes oh I'm good now I can see your ugly face and it's a very like sweet brother sister moment yeah, yeah. except you know they're both horrible people yeah, exactly. and then Warren blows his head off oh, all over Daisy's face yo. so now she looks full carry yeah yo and she's then like happens- soaked in blood she's got no teeth and she's like oh it took too long <laughs> like I was trying to a sweet moment and I was like I'm trying to fucking I'm mean business right so so now the only people left alive are Warren Daisy Mannix um, and Bob Gage and Mowbray who I think have all been shot at this point they're yeah, all Bob, yeah yeah they're alive but they've all been shot Bob they, was shot the, the, he had his head blown off oh Bob already has his head blown yeah, off yeah. okay so Bob's had his head completely blown off like literally just, Samuel shot they him shoot, yeah. Yeah, so, he figured out he was alive so it was like okay right. I know you're Warren alive. shoots Bob in the head and his head just completely disintegrates yeah um, it's so, the juicy violence so moments. we've got Joe Gage and Mowbray so the two members it turns out members of the so it turns out they were all members of the Domingue gang the only members left are Daisy herself 
Gage or Grouch, which is so funny yeah. to me. This and is and what's interesting is that uh, uh, Daisy says uh, earlier in throughout the movie, they're like, well, when we get to Red Rock, I have a whole bunch of bandits and we're going to come through and like fuck your town up anyway. It ain't going to yeah. be a goddamn oh, you know, thing left, to, so you might, you should let me go. I um, forgot to say, like much earlier in the movie, we hear Daisy singing a few times. Oh, yeah. And then one, at one point she starts playing a guitar and singing. It's actually really this really, really nice. And they pretty, just interrupted. I was like, no. This, this pretty song uh, that's like a, it's a song about about a criminal getting deported yeah, to, to Australia. Like, yeah. Um, clearly and, sounds like an allusion to what she's going through. <laughs> right. And then um, John Ruth was like, says something like, oh, do you have more verses? And then she starts singing a made-up verse about how he's going to die and she's going to get away to Mexico. Right. Yeah, and he smashes the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so she's she is threatening them and saying, hey, there's, you know, we've got more of our gang in Red Rock and if you kill me, they're going to kill you. But if you let me go, then, you know, I'll, I'll let you take the dead bodies and you're going to get... Right. Um, you're going to get all this money. So... And and they point out like Bob is apparently would have been worth a lot of money except his head's been blown off so he's yeah. unidentifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, man, think about if we still did that like Wild West Dead or Alive bounty hunt in the day of DNA oh, evidence, man. like just get somebody's hand and bring it in. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we basically got Grouch and Mowbray alive being bargained with essentially although they're probably both on their way out there and even like Mowbray starts bargaining with himself he's like well I'm gonna be dead in a couple days but you can have my body yeah exactly get yeah. Some money and, oh yeah and the whole reason why they like are come come here in the first place is because they know that they're gonna be like someone is coming through with right. Daisy and so they're gonna head them off here like that because that's what I was trying to remember I was like wait why are they coming they're trying the right they're trying to rescue Daisy so you've got Warren and Mannix and they're negotiating with Daisy, and then you've got Grouch and, and Mowbray. Um, and then Mannix starts looking like he's going to, um, like he's maybe like going to take her up on her offer and starts like, yeah. so he sits down, he starts listening to her and like, oh, okay. Oh, and, and it's funny because this is after all of the, the, the shooting has happened uh, at first, and it's like things start to slow down. And I love this one point in particular where it's like, you know, something will happen in a moment because it's a dramatic moment. Oh, of course, that slowdown moment happened. But then as you like, as we cut back to Samuel Jackson's character, he keeps speaking slowed down. Did you notice that? Because there's one part in particular I noticed. Yeah, like, no, I was going to say that they have a lot of like slow motion happening, which is I'm not crazy about. I'm not sure what it is. But yeah, it goes. No, my yeah, and, got, like, and there's one scene in particular where Walter Goggins he pulls up the chair. And he's like, "Well, now hold on, let me see what uh, you know what the deal you're gonna give me, uh, Daisy." And the, and then Samuel Jackson goes like, "You gonna believe this diabolical bitch?" <laughs> 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 It's also like, you know, he's bleeding out. He's got these like slow motion clothes up on his face. And he just has these like big sad eyes. Yeah, you are getting so much character out of Daniel Jackson. I want to say this. It's like, he's he's like, what, an 80-year-old man at this point? And as I watched him in this movie, like... I know he has gray hair, and I know he's old, but, like, he has such energy that I'm like, yeah. this can't be an old person. He, he is 73 years <laughs> old. Insane. So he was in his mid-60s. He was- oh, okay, 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 relatively. But still, like, I just think, like, this man has so much energy that, like, when I'm watching him in this mm-hmm. slow motion moment, there's still so much character and fullness to it that I'm like, 
God damn, I hope to be as, like, full of, you know, vigor as this yeah. man. <laughs> and be in action movies, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so... Oh, but yeah, the point is, because there's a specific uh, moment where it's like, there's a scene where, like, things are happening, and it's where, of like, she, uh, uh, because uh, she's chained to John Ruth, uh, she's trying to like get free of him so that she can go get one of the guns right, because she, there's a whole well, motion. Well, that doesn't happen because so Maddox. Oh, oh, that so happen. Maddox is like sitting kind of close to her and 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 talking about like he he pretends he's listening to her and Warren is like oh no you're gonna take this deal with her and like freaking out but then Maddox turns out is just fucking with her and he says no and it's not it's not because she's a bad person it's just like he and he says you were gonna let me drink that poison coffee it's oh, like yeah. so petty he's <laughs> like you were gonna let me get poisoned and so we won't take the deal he stands up and he's kind of mocking her and then he's bleeding out of his leg and he goes I don't feel so good passes oh, out oh so that's what happened because I was like wait he, he wasn't poisoned so no he's just because he's bleeding so much so he passes out drops the gun where daisy could potentially reach it warren is basically stuck on that bed because he's so badly injured. yeah yeah so daisy then the immobileness of the character she manages to haul john ruth over to somewhere that she can grab a saw and like saws his arm off yeah and as this is all like it's happening like well, I think he's happening in slow motion, but it's that specific thing of like, you know, uh, uh, like, Chris, get up, like, do something. And he's like, and he's yelling at Mannix to get yeah, up. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, my brain was thinking, like, why won't Samuel do it? I was like, oh my God, but he's been blasted through his nuts so hard, so like, he's in so much pain that he can't. And so it's this moment of like, two people not moving and just waiting for something to happen while she is like doing everything right. she can to get free. And you're yeah, just like, oh my God, nice. when is someone going to do something? Yeah. Because I think in their moment where like he tries to shoot her and then there's no more left in his gun and you just see him at the moment of, Oh, yeah, because oh. Warren, Warren starts shooting, 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 and then he actually runs out of bullets, which is always appreciated because yeah, hey, yeah, right. Yeah, I got like, six shots. <laughs> um, and so she does she get the gun or does Warren get it away from her in time? I can't remember. Uh, I think he gets it away from her in time because she saw. I remember her sawing off the leg, but it wasn't in enough time because I remember Samuel Jackson laughing and being like, "Ah!" <laughs> right. Warren manages to get up and and get it. So they essentially they end up getting the drop on her. They shoot everybody. Everybody's dead except for Daisy and, uh, and Warren and Mannix and Warren and Mannix. They, they have this final moment at the end that where they say, you know, Oh, cause I know what it is. Cause Warren or Mannix gets the gun. He's about to shoot her. And Warren says, no, 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 we're not right. going to shoot her because we're going to do right by the hangman. He kept her alive. He worked so hard to keep her alive so that she would hang. She's going to hang. God damn it. And oh man, is this a hard scene to watch? Two they, dudes hanging a woman. They, <sighs> at, the, at the very end that Mannix and Warren, who are both like bleeding out, they say, we know we're going to die, but we're going to do the right thing. And they string her up over a rafter. And, of course, because it's not a proper gallows, she doesn't have the drop neck break. She's, like, just slowly strangling to death as they haul her up. And and, uh, I think Samuel, uh, he, like, rolls the... uh, He He rolls the rope around the bed post. Yeah, yeah. And it's still jankily set up, but it's still, like provides the pull that they need and it's just like watching this these sick right. twisted because, people getting their last job well, because off. like the way that when hanging is used as an execution the way that it's supposed to happen the reason the gallows are constructed the way they are is that the person has a quick long drop and it breaks their neck so they die almost instantly but if somebody 
is just slowly hauled up and they're choking and strangling to death. That's a torturous way to die. So they're watching her dance and, you know. Doing the and, hangman's dance. Right, yeah. and, they're, and they're laughing about it. And oh, she, it's so demented watching it. Right. It is so fucking hard to watch. After all the violence of this movie, this is the hardest thing to watch because you're just like seeing them get this gleeful joy out of it that it's just like, you know, like you as you're watching it so glancing, like I'm not trying to enjoy this, you know what I'm saying? And then it's like having that moment of like, in the background, doing like, there's nothing they're gonna get. These men are going to die. They're not gonna get any money. They're, they're just doing this purely right. because, like, we're about to die. Fuck it. We we're gonna see. We're gonna enjoy yeah, some and suffering. It, it reminded me a little bit at the end. It reminded me of Reservoir Dogs in a way where it's just like, you know, just everyone's every, dying. Everyone's <laughs> dying. <laughs> Nobody wins. And and having that moment of, uh, you know, they know that of, of people accepting their death as they're bleeding out seems to be a big Tarantino thing. Yeah. Um, so they're, um, so at the end, Mannix and Warren are the only two left alive, the Confederate and the Confederate veteran and the Union veteran. And, and they're sitting on the bed together and, and, and does the music, does it sound like the end of Inglorious Bastards, those cellos? I didn't the, know <laughs> When they're cutting off the, the, cutting through the Nazi's head, like, it kind of felt, I heard something oh, like, I don't know. <laughs> and I was I, like, wait. <laughs> maybe, I, I didn't pick up on that, but, um, but at the very end, and this was an odd moment, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it, because at the very end, Mannix, yeah, me um, asked, so, Mannix knows the Lincoln letter is fake, and also was a confederate and hates Lincoln. Yeah. So he asks at the end if he can see the Lincoln letter and reads it and sort of seems to find it touching and delightful. Yeah, like, oh, old married Todd is calling me back. And, so and I gotta he, let it seem I mean, like, oh, a, a person actually wrote this. Abe Lincoln actually wrote this. Oh, he was being called. So he has to spread his letter. And I guess maybe... Um, He's just sort of enjoying the craftsmanship, I guess. I guess. But it was it was a weird moment. It wasn't... Yeah, it just felt like, what else are we going to end on? Like, Yeah, because... Because it's, it's not like it was a mystery. It's not like, oh, what was in the letter? Like, you know what right, I mean? Like, yeah. Right, it's just... I wasn't quite sure what we were to make of Mannix wanting to read the letter at the end. But but yeah, and then and then they're and then they're dead. They both bleed out. They die. Yeah, and you know it's, it's just eight motherfuckers just dead. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I mean, I think given that the whole point of this movie is that they're all the bad guys. Yeah, they're all horrible people. They deserve what's happening to them, right? And then and, and also it was interesting knowing that Tarantino's um, idea, his spark for this was. What if this were like the the hostage scene bottleneck episode, but there's no heroes and it's all the bad guys, yeah. um, and then having them all die, then like it works. Um, and I and it's I feel like I definitely enjoyed the movie as an experience when I saw it seven years ago of going to see it in the theaters and having the big cinematic experience and seeing the it actual... It definitely does feel like a right pl- pl- place to like, watch it. Like seeing the actual physical velvet curtains get drawn across yeah. the movie screen. It is a very... Despite the fact that it's filmed in a small place, it's like... It's a very... Big it's feeling. Very you feel big. the weight of where it is. It it's is the so- Montana. You feel the weight of Montana. And even though it's mm. like... It's not... Clock. Are they in Wyoming? Or is it Wyoming or Montana? I keep getting those mixed up for some reason. Yeah. Anyway, is... there's somewhere somewhere <laughs> up in there. And it's it feels weird because I think like it's it doesn't to me feel claustrophobic, even though like yeah. the whole point is that they're trapped in this space with people that, you know, want to kill them. But it doesn't feel claustrophobic. Like the room itself is pretty big. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's a very... And, and I do love little moments where, like, they're either in the barn or there's a moment where, like, just you see, like, snow coming through. And it's, like, against the wood and seeing slight light coming through and then seeing the snow, like, filling that those spaces. Th- those are just such great shots. There's a scene where with Senior Bob in the stable where you kind of see, like, the snow falling yeah. around. And I was like, this is just a beautiful shot. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... You know, I definitely enjoyed it as a theatrical experience, and I remembered that experience watching it. I didn't not enjoy it, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. also like, you know, I told you when we did Inglorious Bastards, like that one was so great just because you get that, you know, the I mean, rah, rah. Yeah. right. And so, in terms of like, the equivalent visceral rah-rah of killing racist confederates, I feel like Django does that yeah. much more to the point. This one is much... Well, this one is so much more... like Because Django is about, like, let's get the revenge of killing these slave masters. Right. This one is more, let's get in the heads of all of these hateful people and lay out the way they feel and what's been going on to this point that makes brings them to this so, point, and then they all get their comeuppance. Yeah, so the the the, the Civil War... And specifically, like, the Confederacy and the Civil War and the aftermath of all that is very much the back the background for this. And not just, like, a 2D flimsy, like, yeah. oh, yeah, and it happens to be the war. Yeah. Like, very much it affects the psychology. It affects the characters. It affects what's going on. So it's it's well done. Um I yeah I'm but it, it, it yeah it's not like a oh popcorn let's throw it on and at the same time like I I, I do have um I don't know like like it, it is an uncomfortable movie that clearly wants you to be uncomfortable right like and and it's clearly trying to say something about the idea of like how we you know as well human beings but maybe more duplicitous human beings move through the world and how these ideas of who who is bad and who is good like. They are relational, right? Like, at least how we perceive them as, as people in the moment. You know what I'm saying? None of these people think they're the bad guys. Everyone thinks that, well, I was justified because this happened to me. So, blah, 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 blah. I was justified because this happened to me. So, da, da, da. And, and it, it, like, interesting, the idea of, like, the way people use lies and possibly the truth to, like, get around with what they want, right? Like, does Jason, uh, Jennifer Lee's character, do we even really find Jennifer out? Are there, is there actually, like, 15 gang members that's going to come through? Like, we don't really yeah, know. Yeah, we never know. Like, yeah, there's yeah. probably not but there might be yeah like that could have just been that threat that they could have used to just be like hey let's see if we can back out as soon as we can you know like yeah keeping keep that's what this movie is a bunch of people weighing their options and not trying to tip their hand right you know as yeah yeah and watching it a second time knowing sort of the basic like knowing that daisy's gang is going to rescue her at the end knowing that bob is in fact lying and that and they killed many earlier in the day um, all of that, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I think it works as a first viewing. I don't think it works as much of a second viewing. Cause I think the, the movie is in it, like dependent upon you waiting to see what happens. Right. Like waiting I, to see I will is, say, I think, yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, hopefully you've seen it at least once if you're listening to this uh, or we have you know, spoiled it really badly. But, um, I do think it's worth a second viewing just, yeah, for the conversation. just <laughs> because I think that the relationships between the mm. characters and those shifting dynamics are really interesting. Mm. And when you're not worried about the whodunit, it becomes like you can kind of pay more attention to that. I get that. I get so, that. So, yeah. you know, I would say it wouldn't necessarily be my first pick for a rewatch of something, but... If you, especially if you're like wanting to rewatch Tarantino's stuff, it's if you're rewatching it along with this podcast or whatever, it's worth it's worth yeah. it. And it's just like a 
fascinating looking movie. Like you have to give it. And I think I just in general I like snow and ice and stuff. So like you know I really like Frozen when yeah. it first came out. Like no yeah. <laughs> Like, scenes of snow are really good to see. Yeah, like, especially the scene where, like, when you're inside for a long time, and then it, like, cuts to outside, and you're just, like, looking at the snowy landscape. You know, you're just kind of, like, taking it in, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's the Review New Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, like I said at the beginning, if you want to support the show, head on over to that Patreon for the ongoing support, or the Kofi for the one-time uh, support where you can give the requests uh, for the song, movie, or uh, music stream on Twitch. Uh, get with it, act like you want it. Also, I do the personal, uh, you know, where I give you, like, personal advice if you want to, like, send me your music as any person. You know what I'm saying? I like listening to people's stuff and, you know, giving them an outside view of their stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah. Um, but until next time, uh, thank you again for watching. And uh, until you hit play on another episode, uh, this is the end of the podcast. So, uh, I'm DJ. I'm Evan. And oh, man. Hey, 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 man, you corny. Next say something while I'm talking is getting shot. Please believe that. <laughs>